0: Thank you for joining me today for Carl Erickson's Sounds and Words, a podcast with a difference. Our guest today on Sounds and Words is a former television journalist, current author, speaker, and gig economy expert. Welcome to Wingham Rowan.
1: Hi, Carl. Good to be here.
0: Thank you. When did the irregular worker issue first catch your interest?
1: Whoa. Well, it it was an issue in Britain before it was an issue in America because of a quirk in our welfare regime that says, uh, if you are on welfare, you can be on welfare for life in Britain, uh, and you do a couple of hours' work, you can lose all your benefits. Uh, People are on sort of eight benefits at a time, and it can take months to get each one back. And everybody knew that was crazy. Uh, the British government just took the lead and said, we have got to facilitate people who have complex lives because of medical issues, caregiving, parenting, whatever. We have to help them find whatever work they can do. Uh, And it all came from there. And the reason it came onto my my radar was at the time I was actually the host of a rather racy TV show, (laughs) a late night one about what Britain gets up to on the internet. Uh, But I had written a couple of quite serious books about how the internet was going to bring people in from the economic fringes if government took a lead. Uh, And I think that's what got me the job. Okay. In your TED Talk, you introduced the
0: idea of modern markets for all. What exactly does this offer the irregular or gig economy worker?
1: Well, it's, yeah. So modern markets for all is a kind of policy statement. If you look at what's happened in Wall Street, over the last 20 to 30 years, you will see unbelievable progress in the types of marketplaces they use to trade these complex financial assets. I mean, just unbelievable compared to what the rest of us use to trade our time. These markets in Wall Street, will uh, they mitigate risk, they hunt out opportunities proactively for the sellers, they... Uh, expose the seller to the widest possible range of buyers. Uh, they, uh, cons- uh, they allow losses to be offset, so you hedge against uh, making a bad decision. Uh, and then you look at the marketplaces available to the rest of us. And, you know, For you and me, our key economic asset is our time. Mm. That's what employers pay for. So how do we trade our time? Well, we don't have anything like those tools, but we could have. Uh, that's the key point. Uh, and that uh, policy statement that says, well, actually, if we're not getting the best possible markets in which to sell our time, maybe government needs to, to nudge uh, private sector operators towards giving us those markets. Mm-hmm. And that policy statement is called "Modern markets rule. And yes, it would revolutionize gig work. Very good. When did Beyond Jobs
0: become more than a dream and start turning into uh, a reality? When did it start really making a difference, would you say?
1: Oh, uh, interesting one. Uh, it's it's incremental. I mean, the, I think I've learned a lot from this, I've learned a lot about government bodies as initiators. So mm-hmm. I worked on this in Britain for years you what tends to happen is things go slowly 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 and then suddenly move very fast because you are pushing big big organ big sluggish organizations public bodies and quite rightly they are cautious and you know they have to keep the lights on mm-hmm. rather than follow every uh, hot trend and you can get to a point of momentum where they, they do begin to move, but it doesn't happen <laughs> easily. Um, yeah. But I would say the big breakthrough mm-hmm. in Britain came when the Department of Work and Pensions, which is our equivalent of USDOL, uh, announced that they were going to make uh, these markets a, a cornerstone of what they call the universal credit, which was their plan to chuck out the Byzantine Uh, complex welfare regime we have in Britain and Mm -hmm. replace it all with one streamlined credit. Okay.
0: Huh. Um, What are you able to publicly say about Beyond Jobs' work currently in the United States?
1: Oh, well, it's public knowledge that we are focused on uh, the Los Angeles area as the first U.S. launch. uh, That that is funded by four national philanthropies, Annie Casey Foundation, Walmart, Kaufman, and Wells Fargo Foundations. Um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't throw in that uh, that project won the U.S. Conference of Mayors Award for best economic development initiative in America. Uh, And it is also matter of public record that we have employers in the platform using it now but uh, because it's their data and it's confidential to them, and there's only a small number of them, because we, we only went live in September mm-hmm. 2019, um, I'm not at liberty to reveal uh, depth of data or, or, you know, what's happening. We have to get to a point where when we talk about what's happening in, in the markets, we're not revealing any one organization's data. Oh, right, the moment right, You could triangulate anything I say to Exactly. work at. That makes uh, yeah, confidential that makes information, and we can't do that. Absolutely. So uh, it's tantalising, but what I'd say is we can absolutely see the path in America now. It does rely on public workforce sports taking a view that they are going to support people in non-standard employment. That's not easy for them because, as you, uh, of course, will know, all their federal funding is tied to six performance metrics embedded in the WIOA legislation, and all six pertain to uh, traditional 20th century job creation. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. Would you say that uh, that Britain is ahead of the United States in addressing this issue?
1: (laughs) No, not necessarily. I'd say... Britain has this enormous weight of a creaking, by American standards, quite generous welfare system. And it has all sorts of unintended consequences because of the way it's grown up piecemeal. It has lots of loopholes. And that just creates pressure around this issue mm. that you don't have in America. Okay. So I, my analysis is in America, there's huge amounts of suffering going on It's very hard-pressed households because the parents are having to turn to, quote, gig work. Yes. But it's not an institutional <clears throat> problem. The pain is spread out among individual households, often among quite marginalized people, I have to say. Yes. Over here... There's an institutional pain point. It's hurting government. So it's a different dynamic. I I mean, that's not to say that government has responded as well to it as I would have liked, but it is a different dynamic.
0: Yes. So um, in my day job here uh, for the state of Oregon, it uh, pertains much of the time to what we call misclassified workers. In other words, independent contractors versus employees. Is your platform designed to make the lives of both kinds of workers better, or is it primarily geared to the employee-employer relationship?
1: Uh, It'll do both, Uh, although it's, again, a match of public record that in Los Angeles, uh, they're focusing purely on W-2s at first. Um, So, if I could just provide a bit of context there, because as you will know, California recently enacted uh, Assembly Bill AB5, uh, which was designed to stop misclassification by Uber and Lyft and and companies like that, Um, and that's actually become a bit of a problem for us because... Well, A, it's now descended into the complete fog of war. So Uber have already announced they're not going to comply with it. Uh, They think they found some wriggle room. And uh, there's a $90 million fund assembled to put a ballot initiative together next year, uh, aimed at weakening the protections for workers. And the problem is that... Moves like this only solve one problem for one small part of the irregular workforce, and I spend my life saying this. Gig work platforms are pretty small tip of the iceberg in terms of what's happening with the irregular employment. All over Oregon today, there were people who are corporate employees, W-2s, who woke up and don't didn't know if they were, didn't know if they were going to work today. They're waiting for a text from their employer's workforce scheduling software to d- tell them. Are you coming in today? And those people are doing gig work for one employer. They're in a monopsony, a market with only one buyer. If anything, they're worse off than people in the gig work platforms who at least are theoretically exposed mm-hmm. to a lot of buyers. So we've got to start focusing on those people. We've got to start focusing on people on the shadow mm-hmm. economy. And about 40% of Americans have sold at least some hours of the shadow economy now, off the books, completely unprotected. Mm-hmm. And Making Uber drivers W2s doesn't solve any of those problems. Uh, making Uber drivers into W2s doesn't solve the problem that it's almost impossible to regress as an Uber driver. Mm. Uh, It's very difficult to sell in lots of these different markets because algorithms market A will penalize you if you're off doing booking with market B when market A leads you. So you can only sell in a small number of these markets and you might have a whole portfolio of skills and aspirations. So it's very, very difficult to progress. Um, These markets can go bust overnight. Uh, Homejoy just suddenly evaporated. Thousands of Americans were working through it to take one example. There's a whole raft of problems for this workforce. and classification of people on the gig work platforms well it gets a lot of attention but frankly it's just one of the problems okay
0: okay um where do you see the job market going in the next decade or two what should What should our children be preparing for in terms of the new normal?
1: Uh, Well, the new world of work isn't going to be about career for life, that's for sure. And if they're low skilled, uh, they are very unlikely to have a traditional job with regular hours, uh, a route to promotion, uh, benefits uh, and security. Uh, That is the the sad reality. Um, What's driving this is unstoppable. It's technological change, deregulation, globalization, corporate short-termism, whole raft of forces. And they really need to start being prepared for this new world, like it or not, is what I'd say. And that's about... Well, firstly, they, it's about having the right labour markets, because at the moment, the labour markets they have access to are not really, uh, up, up you know, they're not really about progressing the workers mm-hmm. and everything you traditionally want a good labour market to do. Okay. So, you have to kind of fight for yourself at the moment. That's the scary part of it. And there's a lot of luck involved, and there's an awful lot of overhead, just time taken, finding bits of work. Mm-hmm. Um And it's a pretty gloomy picture right now is my analysis, and that's why we need people like the workforce boards to say, actually, we've got to have a role in this. We've got to offer an alternative for people who do want to progress, do want to work on their own terms, do want the kind of protections that you need if you're going to raise kids. Yeah, exactly.
0: How are the regular work and gig economy markets similar and different between our two nations across the pond?
1: Well, we've got a universal safety net in Britain, uh, and don't underestimate that. You know, we're sick, we just go to the hospital, we get whatever we need. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't matter how much it costs. Um, We don't have to have an insurance plan. It takes a huge weight off us. Um, As I say, you can be in the UK and live on benefits for life, uh, on on public assistance, uh, with no requirement that you work, with no uh, expectation that you you know, your family is going to have to bear the costs. Now, that's under enormous pressure with an aging population, but it's sort of still holding as a principle. So what you have in America is you have much less of a safety net, which means people have to work. And I've forgotten the statistic, but it's horrifying for the number of American households that could not cobble together $400 in a a crisis if their car... Uh, had a wreck if uh, somebody was sick or whatever, it's much more precarious in America. Um, access to work is much, much more important. Uh, and originally, that's why we thought it would be not easy, but it would be simpler in America. You know, it, it, it's so obvious. So many people are now doing this irregular work, about 35% of the workforce. And They've got to work because there is no fallback. In Britain, there is this sort of, well, you know, so what? So they live on benefits. And, you know, if you're sick, you just call your doctor and you'll get what you need. Um, right. The social pressure in America should be absolutely pressing. Uh, but you have this problem of workforce boards being told, no, your job is 20th century job creation. Mm, yeah. Stop, you know, stop looking at the fringes of the workforce. Yeah. Uh, and the other problem we have is in. America, you have very, very good labor market data as a rule, but it is not granular enough to pick up this trend. In Britain, to be frank, our labor market data is pretty bad anyway. Uh, So, it's sort of easier to see the gig work because we're more used to relying on academic (laughs) reports and and secondary analysis. In America, you quite rightly venerate the BLS data in my experience. And unfortunately, a lot of this is happening in a blind spot. If I were to do three bits of gig work uh, around Portland today, that would show in the BLS data as three employment instances. And that is traditionally interpreted to mean three jobs created. It doesn't mean anything of the sort. It just means I've done three one-hour bookings for three different uh, employers.
0: Yeah. Uh, What would you say are some of the major misconceptions that people have about irregular workers?
1: Oh, uh, that people are doing it uh, as a route to empowerment, that they are, quote, free agents, Mm, enjoying mm -hmm. themselves, not having a boss, pursuing their own course. I think that is true if you're high-skilled, if you're a web designer, translator, copywriter, lawyer, you can do so-called freelancing in your pyjamas. You pull projects off websites like Upwork, you do them at home, the kids playing around you, uh, uh, upload them and get paid. But if you're low skilled, you have to be at a specific place uh, at a specific time when the employer needs you. That yeah. might involve negotiating childcare, transportation, all sorts of things. Uh, that is a much, much tougher Life uh, and an awful lot of people are uh, in it. So that's one uh, misconception that is somehow people are choosing this uh, okay. life as quote free agents. Yes. Uh, and the second big misconception is that this is it's it's that irregular work is inevitably demeaning and inferior and insecure and disempowering. Uh, and I think that's only because of the current model. If you have to choose between the shadow economy or some app that is taking 30% of your earnings, arbitrarily deciding when to send you uh, work, expecting you to sit at home constantly tapping the app uh, to see if you've got any work at (laughs) the moment, um, yeah, that's horrible. But that's just the current model. And the only reason we have the current model is that where there should be a robust, healthy, progressive market for hourly labor... There's a vacuum, and that vacuum is there because public agencies still unthinkingly have uh, all sorts of platforms for traditional job matching Mm -hmm. and just haven't moved into this new area, with the honourable exception of the Boards of Los Angeles. Yes, yes. And I would single out uh, Portland, actually. I I would single out uh, work systems as being ahead of the curve. Oh, okay. Uh, it's no secret I have presented at several Work Systems events. Uh, Andrew McGough, who runs uh, Work Systems Portland, is, is noted as a far-sighted thinker. We would love to spread to Oregon. Oh, okay. um, so we're ready when you are. Yeah, um, that, would, that would be um, it, wonderful. It is this this challenge. You know, uh, it, the funding has to come from somewhere. You can't just turn one of these markets on. If you do, you'll just be swamped by people who desperately need a much better. Uh, way of doing this work, you have to do what we call market making ahead of launch, and that involves going around the employers of flexi labour, saying, "You, you may not think it, but you will be much better off using a platform uh, offered by the workforce boards that is dedicated to empowering the workers and upskilling them and giving them multiple opportunities and helping them progress." You yes. might think, "Oh, I'm going to lose all my workers." You're losing them all now. There's very high churn in the existing yeah. system. Um, <coughs> If you uh, help them progress, you're likely to hold on to them longer, and you'll certainly get a lot more motivated workers. Uh, and the, the right platform like ours will help you find the next generation of workers. So, you know, if you're going to be part of the ladder, do it consciously yes. rather than having people sort of in and out of your workforce all the time. Yes, exactly. So that's that's the barrier. Somebody needs to fund people who do that work of just making the market and then you just turn it on. Yes. Yeah. You could have, yeah, it could serve the whole of Oregon tomorrow.
0: Yeah. That would be wonderful. Um, and I suppose as far as getting the cooperation, cooperation from companies like Uber and Lyft that we can pretty much write
1: them off now, probably for the next couple of years, would you think? Um, honestly not bothered. They're such a minor part of this. Oh really? Yeah. Don't get fixated on them. They, They make a lot of noise. They've got a lot of money. Um, I think 2% of the population does gig work through platforms at any time. These statistics are all changing all the time, and they come from multiple Mm -hmm. sources. (laughs) So, Forgive me if I haven't got them right off pat. Um, The really big numbers of this this are people working in home care, hospitality, distribution, uh, people in uh, the leisure industry, uh, construction. These are the irregular workers that... Uh, you want to access. So market making, why bother talking to Uber? They're going to do what they're going to do. Talk to the construction industry, get into the umbrella bodies for the hospitality sector. Talk to the home care providers who are wrestling with the need to offer more responsive services, who are desperately short of workers, while students who are doing nursing and teaching and all sorts of related subjects are flipping burgers when they could be, uh, you know, supplementing their learning and earning by, by doing sort of home care work. Um, there's a whole range of sectors where there is a distinct proposition and those sectors have a lot of um, uh, willingness to move the dial. Okay, I mean, and just, to be, just to be absolutely clear, very happy if Uber or Lyft wanted to use uh, a system like this as their labour market. You know, so I might be willing to drive for Uber, but you know what? I really want a career as a hotel manager. So I would rather be getting receptionist bookings, banqueting bookings. Uh, But if they're in short supply, yeah, I'll drive for Uber if it's worth my while. Uh, And what we're saying to the Ubers and the Lyfts is, Maybe you don't want to be a labor market. It's a pretty messy business. Leave it to the specialist. You be a transportation company yeah. because you're investing so heavily in driverless cars. So we know how interested you are <laughs> in the labor market. Yeah, exactly. you know, they outsource their credit card processing to companies like Braintree because it's a very complex regulated business and they just don't don't see why they should be part of it. Yeah, Don't be a labor market. Leave that to the people who really want to be a labor market. You be a transportation company. Right, right. But I, I don't know if they listen to that. I'm just saying that's our message to them. Yes.
0: Um, in in Britain, are young people being educated about these kinds of issues, how not to be exploited in the workforce? Would you say that's something that's discussed yes, at all?
1: It, it's varied. Uh, remember, we're... As I said, we don't have this enormous uh, pressure at individual level because we've got such, by American standards, such a good safety net. Right. Um, You know, I do come across initiatives, but I think they're at school level rather than any sort of national thing. Uh, I think, I mean, there are criticisms of the education system on both sides of the Atlantic. Has it adapted to the new world of lifelong learning? I mean, a lot of people who know better than I do would say no, it hasn't. Does the uh, Beyond Jobs platform contain
0: um, education modules or, op- or opportunities within that system for uh, folks to improve their skills and, and learn uh, learn things and of that nature?
1: Not yet, but it's only a matter of resources. So okay. the functionality is there. So the platform is called a Cedar Central Database of Available Hours, and. Uh, what it does is it, it well. Firstly, it understands what hours each person wants to work today, tomorrow, or at mm-hmm. any point in the future. But it also it knows as many of their skills as possible. It builds this sort of detailed data map. So it might know that I'm good at carpet laying. I would like to get roofing qualifications. Uh, I'm quite happy doing interior decorating. Uh, but really, if it could get me skills as a scaffolder, I would yeah. earn you know fifty percent more. Right uh, and Within that, it can absolutely use its data to help me get skills. Uh, It can even shape an investment case. So if we go back to that scenario where I'm currently doing a variety of construction jobs, but there's a chronic shortage of scaffolders where I live, and I've proved my reliability. uh, And we know what I would earn if I added scaffolding to my portfolio. Could you get to a point where somebody, either private sector or public sector, says through the system, we'll fund you to become a scaffolder. Uh, and the private sector business case would be, we'll do that in return for 15% of your enhanced earnings for the following six months. Oh, yeah! But uh, a workforce board could say it because it aligns with my progression, economic growth, everything that workforce boards strive for.
0: Yeah. That, um, how about skills assessment? Do you see... Um, cert, uh, people, when they state or assert their certifications in particular areas, will there be any kind of a verification process in,
1: on oh, your yeah. side? So uh, because these people are, at the moment, all W-2s, they are vetted into the system by a labor market intermediary. And that could be a nonprofit, it could be a workforce board, it could be a commercial staffing agency. I see. Uh, and so if I say I've got a home nursing certificate... Someone at the intermediary has to tell the system, yeah, he really does have a home nursing certificate, and this is the date it expires. So yes, it's all verified. Obviously, ultimately, you'd like to link him in direct into the official databases. Yeah, but not yeah, yet.
0: <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, okay, to kind of change directions here, we're almost we're almost uh, wrapped up. But if. Um, Supposing that global warming concerns come to pass in some form in the coming decades, what do you imagine the effect will be upon the workforce in our two countries?
1: Well, oh, I have to be honest, I haven't really thought about that um, um, I mean, it would be facile to point out it's going to be bad for tourism and so on. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's so fundamental. It's about the food supply. It's about mm-hmm. are people going to stop living in cities? Um, how will transportation work? It suggests we're going to go back to a world of uh, people fending for themselves more uh, in a more localised environment, but. At its worst, it means we don't have electricity and so on, which is not a great environment for any computerized (laughs) system. Exactly, exactly. Um,
0: Well, what's next on your horizon?
1: Well, uh, we're focused very much on the Los Angeles launch. Uh, We are trying to spread up the West Coast. So uh, we know what the mayor of Seattle is doing around irregular work. Um, And uh, we've got this sort of little hole in our West Coast plans labelled Oregon. Um, as I say, uh, some very bright people making the right noises, but, mm-hmm. but nothing as tangible has happened yet. We'd love to see that change in 2020. Um, a lot of our work, frankly, at this point, is about educating the philanthropies. So there's a lot of philanthropies engaged in future of work, but they can be they can have a very pejorative view of irregular work. You know, a lot of them talk. Uh, at length about better careers, STEM initiatives, apprenticeships. And I absolutely understand why. And If I was in charge of allocating $500,000, I would probably put it into training disadvantaged kids to be coders for Google. But unfortunately, (laughs) there are an awful lot of people trapped in demeaning, disempowering, exploitative models of irregular work and in some cases just getting those people onto minimum wage is a breakthrough yes. and you need to do that at scale we're past the point now where a few initiatives to train people how to be more effective uber drivers is going to shift the dial right. so that's a big challenge uh, and obviously the the what we really like to do is get those six we hour performance metrics changed because then state workforce agencies can say, well, of course, we have a platform for job seekers in our state. We've also got one for people seeking hourly work.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us today. This was a, a really fascinating. Uh,
1: not at all. A pleasure.
0: All right. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Carl. Bye. OK. Bye bye.